You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. I want to give a shout out to all my listeners in Deutschland, in Germany. Frohlichten Weihnachten. Merry Christmas to all. Happy holidays, y'all. This week, we got a little African-American history talking about a gunsmith by the name of James Monroe Jones. Got some police commentary. Yeah. Police respond to the shootings. Reading an article from the tacticalwire.com. Also, got some commentary from my friend Philip Smith, the president of the National African-American Gun Association, about the shootings as well. Maryland Show Issue share some information, a viewpoint, and Mike reviews a sexy new gun bill. If you like the podcast, download that free app that we have on iOS and on Google Play for Android. The links will be in the show notes. Yeah, if you're listening through the YouTube, download the app. Put that bad boy on your phone. And I'm one of those guys that prefers dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. This is episode number 594. Believe it or not. I'm kind of in a Christmas mood. I'm hoping you are too. If you need anything, feel free to give me a shout, give me a call, give me an email. My information can be found at blackmanwithagun.com. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Speaking of blackmanwithagun.com, check out the article that Dave Cole wrote. Shoot, anything that Dave writes is great. Need some ammo? Check out ammo.com. It's your best source for ammunition online. The shipping is fast, the customer service is good, and they sell name brands you can trust. Ammo.com. And if you like saving money as much as I do, use the link ammo.com forward slash black man with a gun. How cool is that? This next portion of the show is brought to you by Maryland Shall Issue. Maryland Shall Issue is an all-volunteer, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the preservation and advancement of gun owners' rights in Maryland. It seeks to educate the community about the right of self-protection, the safe handling of firearms, and the responsibility that goes with carrying a firearm in public. Join us today at MarylandShallIssue.org. This commentary is from Maryland Shall Issue. Maryland takes enormous pride on being a bastion of progressivism. Fairness is the rule of law in Maryland to the point of high taxation to provide public works for all to enjoy. Income redistribution, rights to for those who illegally reside in a state, and the mollycoddling of hardened criminals where one quarter of those caught with illegal guns have their charges dropped without even a trial. There is one aspect of Maryland where there is no progressivism to be found, however, and that is for the equal right for minorities to acquire the right to carry a firearm for self-protection. How could this be possible in 2018 in one of the most liberal states in the nation? 
The Maryland State Police require a, quote, good and substantial, end quote, reason for a person to acquire a permit to carry a firearm. And they alone have deemed self-protection is not good and substantial enough. Even if you have a business to protect, the Maryland State Police will require you to provide them with bank deposit slips to prove you are worthy of having a permit to carry a handgun. Now let's examine the likely outcomes of three fictitious handgun permit applicants in Maryland. The first, William Montgomery. He is a white, wealthy restaurant owner in Howard County. And he has an armored car, pick up money from his restaurant every day and make large bank deposits. Mr. Montgomery never takes the money to the bank himself, but can show large deposits made on a regular basis to the Maryland State Police. Because his restaurant is open seven days a week, nearly 24 hours a day, he is given permit with no restrictions. Number two, Maria Rodriguez is a Hispanic housemaid from Prince George's County. She works for several clients who pay her primarily in cash. Because she works during days, she must take her bank deposits on Saturday. Taking public transportation to the bank and carrying large sums of cash she earned during the week. Ms. Rodriguez is given a permit with a restriction of, quote, valid only while conducting business as a housemaid, end quote. Ms. Rodriguez is arrested for carrying outside the restrictions on her permit while making a bank deposit on a Saturday. The officer does not believe she is working on a Saturday as a housemaid while riding on a city bus. Despite the fact that she is carrying a large amount of cash, it does not help that Miss Rodriguez speaks poor English and is unable to articulate her situation adequately to the officer, who simply gets frustrated and arrests her. The third is Tyrone Washington. He's a black self-employed carpenter from Sandtown, Winchester area of Baltimore. And he works every job that becomes available to him within Baltimore because of the recent cuts in public transportation, the nearest bus line is eight blocks from the house he rents. Mr. Washington, frustrated with public transportation, no longer utilizes a bank, which is inconvenient to get to, hides all his cash in his home, and pays his landlord in cash. Mr. Washington has no bank account, let alone deposit history to show the state police, so he is denied a permit entirely. Under the criteria developed and implemented by the Maryland State Police, with the help of those in Annapolis, the white guy from Howard County who never transports cash gets an unrestricted handgun permit. The Hispanic woman from Prince George's County gets a restricted handgun permit that ultimately leads to her arrest. And the black man from Baltimore City who works and transports his pay in cash through the roughest streets in Baltimore on a daily basis is denied any permit to carry a handgun. And that is the reality of the handgun permitting scheme in Maryland today. It is perhaps the most racist institution in the nation. The legislators in Annapolis can talk about progressivism and fairness all they want. But the reality is they are single-handedly responsible for one of the most racist policies America has seen since the poll tax. It is time for Annapolis to stop talking the talk and walk in the walk. This message is from Brian Bissett of Maryland Shall Issue. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Tom Gresham from Gun Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Black Man with a Gun Show. Here's wishing you and yours happy holidays. It's a Christmas Hanukkah miracle. Have you ever heard of a gunsmith by the name of Jones? James Monroe Jones? Well, he was one of the few African-American gunsmiths working in 19th century America. 
Born as a slave in North Carolina, Jones's father eventually purchased freedom for himself and his family and moved them to the free state of Ohio. Jones eventually graduated from Oberlin University in Ohio and worked as a gunmaker in London, Ohio, and later in Chatham, Ontario. That's up in Canada, y'all. He's renowned as the only African-American gunmaker in Canada during the period and even produced a pair of extraordinary gilt Derringer pistols for the Prince of Wales, who later became the King Edward VII. Now you want to hear some real drama that happened? During the visit by the Prince of Wales, the future King Edward VII, the Prince had been persuaded to divert his first extensive official Canadian tour to Chatham, Ontario, in order to accept a finely crafted pair of Derringer pistols made by a local world-famous and highly respected gunsmith. When waiting to congratulate and meet J.M. Jones, the prince was informed, much too late, that the blacksmith was, in fact, a black man named James Monroe, gunsmith Jones, who had made the gift of Derringer pistols. Confronted with this dilemma, the locals had little time to smooth it over and duly informed an impatient prince that there had been a change in plans, that the Derringers had been made by, quote, contaminated hands, and as such, could not be presented to a member of the royal family. He left immediately and never met J.M. Jones. Gunsmith left and eventually entered Canada West, where he married Emily Francis of Howard Township. In 1852, they settled in Chatham. With its burgeoning black population, by 1860, as a major underground railroad terminal, the region's black population approached 33%. In his final years, he moved to his son's home in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he died in 1906 at the age of 85. The final disposition of the Derringers fit for a king is not known. Other Jones's weapons and awards can be viewed at Windsor, Chatham, and U.S. museums. And this is from the Canadian Directory for 1857-1858 list, where it lists J.M. Jones as, quote, manufacturer of rifles, guns, and pistols. And as a side note, James Gooding, publisher of the Canadian Journal of Arms Collecting, names Jones as one of the six Canadian gunsmiths who had the skill to be compared with the best in the world. A little known fact about a guy by the name of James Monroe Jones. And if you like that, check out NAAGA.co. Join the most unique brotherhood and sisterhood in the firearms industry and become a part of history. The National African American Gun Association.co. NAAGA.co. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. All right, in the past couple of weeks, I've been on NPR, I've been on an Associated Press, I've been all over the place talking about Roperson, Chapman, and the other shootings around the nation where police are involved. Over the past couple of weeks and days, I've been getting quite a few responses from all over that folks that listen to this podcast. I want to read you one that I just found and was sent to me from a place called The Shooting Wire. It's called Mistaken Identity Shootings. 
In the recent news, an armed citizen was fatally shot in a shopping mall in Alabama by police responding to an active killer report at the facility. Soon, there was a call for dialogue to prevent such a tragic occurrence. Many of us were concerned with this possibility in the days before the proliferation of states with non-discretionary concealed carry permit systems. When there was only a single state with no permit required, so-called constitutional, law, lawful carry of firearms. If there were so few people lawfully carrying, who was concerned? The cops? Because cops really don't want to have the, to shoot anyone and often won't shoot even when clearly justified to do so, and because it might not be an armed citizen but an armed off-duty peace officer, who's also an armed citizen. Never heard of that. I'm not surprised. This was before the advent of social media. 24-hour news cycles and the proliferation of lawful carry of firearms, it was a real deal to people like Jim Cirillo, New York PD, U.S. Customs, and other veteran firearms instructors. This was based on cases where an officer was killed in New York City by responding officers. For a while, they had, quote, color of the day and other cues, but they found out that it was often see gun, shoot gun when responding to a high call. Jim did the first plainclothes off-duty officer course that the author of this article had ever heard of. He said he incorporated material he'd gotten from Jim through Masada Ayub in college workshops taught for criminal justice majors and in service training. He'd use interactive role play with toy guns. This scenario-based experience included response to shots fired in which our students would run into someone's someone armed with a gun, a role player who at no time acted in a threatening manner. And we ran these classes from 1994 to 2003, literally hundreds of students. In only one case, did the responding officer not shoot. In my notes from Ayub's Daily Force Instructor course I attended at Federal at Firearms Academy in Seattle in 1980, 1998, there some discussion of the post-shooting procedure as it relates to dealing with responding law enforcement officers. Quote, armed citizens are the faceless refugees in all of this. Excellent chances for mistaken identity shooting. It might not be a detective who's closest or an off-duty cop who's been flagged down. In some years, more NYCPD cops are shot by other cops than by the bad guys. Back in the 1970s, in Law and Order, Mass came out with the three rings of safety, originally for plain clothes and off-duty police officer survival courses. Ring one, the message. Cause a message to be transmitted describing the situation and describing you, the good guy. Ring two, the welcoming committee. Officers are to be met by someone they can trust to relay the message before they come to see me. Ring three, you. Bearing and demeanor. Be non-threatening to responding officers. Be where you can see them before they can see you. Be able to holster one-handed by feel. Have hand on holstered handgun. You'll be told to drop it, but it runs against instinct and reflexes to drop your lifeline. All that assumes that there aren't other armed, quote, good guys, cops or not, present in the area when the event occurs. Still, having your back to something solid and having the peace 
safely reholstered can go a long ways in keeping safe. Consider also that you can simply leave. This doesn't mean sneaking out and hiding from the law. It's putting distance between you and the deadly participants of the event. Just because he's down doesn't mean it's over. As most people have portable communication devices, it's easy to drive away from the scene and call for help. Identifying yourself, giving a summary of the event, and giving a location for officers to come and get you. I saw a post on social media that was especially cogent. While it is a concern, it's still rare. And the chances of it can be reduced by training of both responding officers and armed citizens. Some of the training is as simple as, after you had to defend yourself, put your gun back in the holster while keeping an eye on the bad guy so that you reduce the risk of getting shot by the police. Another commentator noted, it wasn't a, quote, racial shooting. It was a fluid tactical situation. Guy with a gun and his friend already down with a round now. That's the direction this should take. What to do while your ears are ringing, pulse still racing, and the smoke still hanging in the air. Is education, not legislation, nor litigation. And for more information on law enforcement training, I have a link here from policeone.com. Now, that is a different take than you've heard. And I'm glad I got a chance to read it. I'm hoping it made sense to you. I'm going to put a link to it so you can read it because it didn't flow for me, so it didn't. hope it sounded all right. But there's two perspectives to everything that happens. One thing that I find out, though, that people want to just go off on one thing, always. And if you're not on their side, you're wrong. You can't be rational. You can't be centrist. You can't be reasonable. You can't be yourself. You have to be on their side. Everything has to be either left or right. Now, there is a wrong and a right. There is truth and there is fiction. But the other stuff that we do, taking sides and trying to divide each other and and secretly becoming racist ourselves, we candy coat it. That's what we get. Truth is, somebody died. Let's fix that so it doesn't happen again. Here's a suggestion from Phil, the president of the National African American Gun Association. He says, the first is to start hiring a different type of police officer in America who is older and college educated. Maturity combined with education produces a very different person compared to someone coming almost straight out of high school. Life experiences go a long way when interacting with the public. The second suggestion is to pay officers a lot more than they are currently to attract the best and the brightest. If you pay $30,000 or $40,000 as a starting salary, you aren't going to attract the best talent. Why not start a police officer at a salary of 75000 a year? Currently, as it is set up, you will get those individuals that have no other economic option and are being almost forced to take the job. That isn't a desirable scenario for someone who's interacting with the general public with a gun on a daily basis. The fourth suggestion is to use our economic clout as a community. If this continues in a specific town, we don't go to those banks, stores, gas stations, utilize public transportation, hair salons, or restaurants until change happens. The last 
But the most important suggestion or strategy is to legally challenge the foundation of the current law. That is Tennessee versus Garner. This Supreme Court decision is currently the basis for all, quote, justifiable shootings. Tennessee versus Gardner was first decided in 1985 and reinforced in 1989. Tennessee versus Gardner, 471 U.S. 1, is a civil case in which the Supreme Court of the United States held that, under the Fourth Amendment, when a law enforcement officer is pursuing a fleeing suspect, he or she may not use deadly force to prevent escape unless the officer has probable cause to believe that the suspect poses a significant threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or others. It is found that the use of deadly force to prevent escape is an unreasonable seizure under the Fourth Amendment in the absence of probable cause that the fleeing suspect posed a physical danger. I personally like the fact that folks are thinking now, folks are talking now, folks are actually standing up. Um, I've seen so many posts of African-Americans standing up at the range saying Second Amendment applies to me, too. We're actually learning about Tennessee versus Gardner. We're actually talking to law enforcement. Exchanges are happening. Unfortunately, it took tragedy before we started communicating, but we're getting there, and I'm glad about it. If you're not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem. Don't wait for some so-called organization to represent you because you know they don't. If it's going to be, it's up to you and to me. We are the people. Hello, everybody. This is William Shatner, and a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hi, this is George Takei from Star Trek, wishing all beings on all planets a Merry Christmas and a Warp Speed New Year. Hi, this is Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek The Next Generation, wishing the entire universe a happy holiday season. And if I'm going to tell you one thing, I'm going to tell you this. Have a safe and happy New Year and Christmas, but don't drink and drive. Do one or the other. Stop! Stop, evildoers! Introducing super-stretching superhero, Stretch Armstrong! Yes, Stretch Armstrong! Now stretching fun farther than ever before! He bends, he stretches, even ties and knots, but always returns to his original shape! How'd he do that? He's been doing that since he was a kid! Stretch Armstrong from Cap Toys! Well... Alright, buddy, you are up next. Hit me. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland, and today we're going to discuss the Core Essential Gun Belt. What is the belt you are wearing at this moment? Are you carrying your EDC setup right now? Would you get upset if I were to tell you that a conventional belt is not the best selection for your use of EDC, whether inside the waistband or outside? For those who are unaware, wearing a regular leather belt or even a basic nylon belt will start to lose its original shape due to the weight of the holster with the firearm and the repeating of pulling your firearm out the holster. This deformity that will take place over time can take away from the moment that could be the precious time you need to exercise a fluid draw the most. Over time, you will notice a slow buildup of when pulling your firearm out the holster that it will release from the holster at a higher point or the unnecessary sag that you will try to correct with the choking of your waist with your current belt. The belt I chose to go with was the Core Essential Gun Belt. Not only is this my everyday belt, but 
This belt has been serving my EDC needs now for over a year, and I am actually pleased with it thus far. So, you ask me what makes this belt stand out. For starters, when looking at this belt, it does not present the I am a gun guy message. It is stylish, easy to use, and most important, it's functional. My selection from the Core Essentials gun belt was the X2 buckle and their tactical line of belt. Their tactical belt comes in either black or tan and has the appearance of a nylon belt, but that is an illusion of such. Now, for what makes this belt a gun belt, Core Essentials uses what they call their track line system that allows the desired position for tightness. A regular leather belt uses a series of holes placed about an inch apart from each other to allow for your desired tightness. But the Core Essential uses 40 different sizing points that are spread about a quarter of an inch apart. The easiest way to describe this system is to call it a larger scale zip tie, but in a belt form. When you order this belt, it comes with a belt keeper and instructions as to how to make the belt fit for optimal use and look. The instructions state you should find your pant size and add 4 inches to it. And from that point is where you will cut. Then they suggest you cut the excess with some sharp scissors. As you are cutting through this belt, you will see how tough and rigid it is. But after you get through the belt, you will see why with the polycore internal. This belt is really sturdy. Next, you will take the buckle, open the hinge point, and insert the belt and close the hinge point that will be secured by the teeth which will sink themselves into the belt hidden by this latch. That is it for the assembly of the core essential belt. Now, how to employ it for daily use is even easier. You just take the belt and insert it into the opening of the buckle and you will hear the clicks from the track line. Of course, you will stop at your desired position for comfort. To disassemble the belt from the removal of the pants, you just press and hold the release lever, then pull the belt until it clears the buckle, and that's it. Something that is easy and stands up to the test of time that gives the repeat performance of a snug fit. This is the belt that I use every day, and if you go back and look at the video where I was talking about the JM4 Tactical Relic, you will see this is the same belt along with the proper kinetic pants in that video. This belt is built to last with an inch and a half of nylon webbing that has a rating of 500 pounds and reinforced with the polycore inside that gives this belt its super rigid state. The few negative points that I have against this product is the gunmetal finish material of the buckle is starting to come undone, but that could be from the lifestyle that I live, constantly being on the range. The other point is that if your belt loop is not close enough to the buckle to insert the excess belt tab, you will have to keep in mind that the belt keeper that comes with it must be placed back on each time. Since I wear proper pants regularly, this eliminates for me to keep track of the strap that keeps the belt from sticking out while in use. For those who are looking to contact me, visit blackmanwiththegun.com and under the About tab, click on my name, Michael Woodland, and shoot me an email or a phone call. Please leave a voicemail or a text message, and I promise I will get back to you. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken.
A few years ago, a friend of mine started this thing called the United States Concealed Carry Association. It's an education, training, and self-defense insurance company now. It's for responsible gun owners. You can get complete peace of mind when you join USCCA today. If you carry a gun for self-defense, you need this. It's a whole package, education, training, and self-defense insurance. The link will be in the show notes. That's uscca.blackmanwithagun.com. USCCA.blackmanwithagun.com. They're slugging it out in the middle of the ring. And there's a hard drive to the top. And Blue Bonnet Black is knocked off. And Black is knocked off? Sure, but you can press it right back on again. It's just part of the action with the world's only boxing robots, the Rock'em Sock'em Robots by Marks. Takes two managers to handle the fighters and lots of skill to win. With these control levers, you can keep your fighters in motion to duck punches. When you press this plunger, he throws a right uppercut. Press the other plunger and there's a left jab. Lots of exciting action and fun for everyone when the world's only boxing robots battle it out. The blue bomber's looking for an opening. And there it is. That's the end of round two. Just push the flying head back and you're ready for round three. Boy, this is the greatest. You bet. The world's only boxing robots. Get the Rock'em Sock'em Robots by Mark. What'd you need? Any Christmas ideas you might have. There's no such thing as the Star of Bethlehem. Jesus was born in North Africa. How come in pain does it always look like he's one of the Bee Gees? All right, Christmas ideas that don't shriek of meanness. Hey, your people stole Jesus from my people. All right, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for being a part of the conversation, a part of my family. I know sometimes we can be contrarian, we can be different, but as long as we continue to talk, we can work this thing out. Deal? Deal. Our new app on Android, Google Play, and on iOS for the Black Man with the Gun show is doing pretty good. Getting about four or five new subscribers every day. It's a free app, but not free to develop and free to keep and maintain. So if um, you would like, I would like for you to have it. Uh, so just go on Google Play or iTunes and subscribe, download that bad boy, and then you'll have this show and all my contact information with you wherever you go. I think I can get about four or five of those you know, a day. If you want to be number six, that would be kind of cool. Thanks to Mike for adding his reviews to this show. Dankeschön to my brothers and sisters in Germany that are listening. And all of you around the world, outside of the continental United States, that follow the Black Man with a Gun Show. Shishini, domo origato. Gracias, obrigado. Shukran, salamat po. Please consider being a show enough supporter. What's that? Take a listen to this. <laughs> Are we the meanest? Are we the prettiest? Are we the baddest mofolo down around this town? Are we not the supporters of the black man with a gun? I can't hear you. Patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. Now don't be the last dragon to join. Until next week, 
Shalom, baby. You really didn't like it, Sheldon? Well, on the contrary. I found the Grinch to be a relatable, engaging character. <laughs> and I was really with him right up to the point that he succumbed to social convention and returned the presents and saved Christmas. <laughs> what a buzzkill that was. Wishing you plenty of tutti-frutti cake for Christmas.